Hello, my name is Leszek Jaszczewski. Welcome to the Liberal Europe podcast, a European Liberal Forum project. I hope you'll enjoy our program. Hello, my name is Leszek Jaszczewski. Welcome to Liberal Europe podcast. We will be discussing the Catholic Church and its stance on the war in Ukraine, also a bit of Italian uh, approach to the war. And uh, I'm very glad that today we have a special guest who is um, an Italian journalist, writer, essayist, the former president of the European Humanist Federation. And also what is important uh, for listeners of this particular podcast, a former member of board of directors of the European Liberal Forum, Giulio Arricolesi. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for, for being with us. Thank you for having me. And uh, I, I think you said ecumenical. Uh, it's not ecumenical. It was humanist. Uh, that means more or less uh, separatist. No, no, no. European Humanist Federation. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, absolutely. No, no, no. <laughs> Just the opposite, I would say. Uh, so, Julia, if, um, if we might start with, uh, uh, with uh, the current Vatican stance on the, on the war in Ukraine, we, 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 we've seen some... Well, I would say controversial statements from uh, Pope Francis uh, regarding that, uh, well, everyone here is to blame that NATO is barking, was barking on Russia. Uh, some of it was very, very poorly received, even in the, such a Catholic strongholds as, as Poland. Can you tell more about, about these statements and how could you uh, well explain it to, to our listeners? Why why is the Vatican so hesitant to call the aggressor the aggressor and the victim a victim? Well, first of all, I think that there is a, a quite practical reason because they wanted to offer themselves as mediators. Uh, of course, uh, uh, they had no uh, possibility to play the mediator's role. Uh, because they are somehow out of the parties that are uh, uh, playing now in uh, Ukraine, because the Catholics uh, in Ukraine are just a minority, and because they are seen uh, as Catholics, uh, traditionally, as somehow opposed uh, to the uh, Orthodox Church. So it could have been quite difficult for them. And they, of course, have now a very uh, difficult uh, relations, not, not just now, but for, for, for decades now, they have a very diff difficult relation with the, the Russian Orthodox Church, much more than with other Orthodox uh, churches, uh, beginning with that in Constantinople, as they call it still. This was a practical reason. Uh, in order to be accepted as a mediator at the beginning of uh, uh, this war, uh, they didn't want to directly blame uh, Russia. Uh, but I think that there is another um, more profound reason for this sort of, I wouldn't say neutrality, because after all, they uh, even if they didn't name uh, Putin, as the culprit, uh, uh, they, they did say that there was an aggression and uh, uh, that, that, uh, that there, there has been uh, something like that. But uh, the point is that uh, the Catholic Church has developed uh, throughout uh, uh, the decades a very strong pacifist attitude that has the same contradiction. So all uh, utterly pacifist uh, uh, ideologies uh, when, whenever. 
uh, and wherever, for whatever reason. It does not only involve uh, uh, the, the Catholic Church, actually. If you remember, a uh, liberal-minded philosopher as Bertrand Russell, uh, uh, who had been an objector of conscience uh, in World War I and went to jail because of this, uh, later became uh, a supporter of uh, the, the, the war against Germany in World War II. After the war, in, in face of the nuclear threat, became total pacifist, more or less. He was one of those uh, establishing uh, an international pacifist uh, network because uh, his idea was that whatever war has uh, worse consequences uh, than whatever the result of the war could be. Well, that was more or less the attitude that was very popular in, in the 80s and 90s when people said better red uh, than dead. And that is more or less the idea. And they have uh, tried to give to this rather opportunistic, in a way, or practical uh, um, uh, attitude, uh, a more moral one, uh, because they are uh, not just the Catholic, but also the pacifist uh, uh, milieu that is quite strong in Italy. In fact, you have now a lot of uh, uh, former leftists uh, and extreme leftists that say the Pope is the only uh, leader that we have uh, uh, in the left in Italy today. And that is because they uh, have developed this sort of utterly pacifist, uh, nonviolent attitude that uh, have pushed a lot of them to refrain from any possible use of arms, even in self-defense. Uh, that is uh, an attitude that is absolutely new in the Catholic Church, of course. I think that uh, the first uh, uh, elector that you can call a pacifist uh, in the Catholic Church was Erasmus from Rotterdam, and it was 1,500 years after the birth of Christianity, and there was nothing like that before, and very little or almost nothing like that afterwards. And there has been a, a, a very strong uh, development of this sort of attitude in, in the last century. And everybody now uh, remembers uh, the attitude of uh, uh, Pope Benedict the Fifteenth in World War I. But mind you, only in the third year of war, in 1917, uh, uh, when he said that it was a useless slaughter. And you have a lot of historians now that say that he was the only one who found out uh, the real interpretation of World War I. Anyway, it was just three years after the war, the, 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 the Great War uh, had broken out. And just a few years late before, you know, in 1911, when uh, uh, the, uh, a, a short war between Italy and Turkey uh, broke out in 1911, uh, when uh, uh, the Italian uh, state uh, conquered Libya, uh, there was a sort of embarrassing enthusiasm in the Catholic milieu in Italy because they saw it as an opportunity for uh, uh, evangelizing, as they said, uh, a country of Muslim origin. And 
at that time, uh, the, the Vatican Secretary of State issued a, a, a statement where they said that that war, 1911, was an uh, utterly political affair and therefore the Vatican and uh, the, the Catholic religion was totally neutral on the matter. That means that until 1911, this uh, sort of uh, total uh, attitude of uh, uh, excluding uh, any kind of war was out uh, of the, the uh, was outside the horizon or the cultural horizon of the Catholic Church. And in fact, the uh, theory of just war has been existing until very few years ago in uh, the, the thought, in the main, uh, mainstream thought of the Catholic Church. It was just during uh, World War I uh, that this idea started to develop. And it was because it was very embarrassing for uh, the Catholic Church uh, having Catholic countries fighting uh, one against the other. You had on the one hand uh, um, the Austro-Hungarian Empire that was uh, uh, almost entirely Catholic country. On the other hand, you have the French and uh, the, the, the Italians and you had the, the, and the Belgians and you also had in Germany the Bavarians and those in uh, Rhineland that were also Catholics. So there was this uh, uh, very big problem for the Catholic Church uh, having all these uh, military chaplains that were playing in, on each side of the front uh, as if God was with their own army. By the way, in Italy, it was the first uh, moment in which uh, the, the um, priests were somehow associated to the Italian state that was born against the will of the Vatican because it involved uh, uh, ousting uh, the Pope from temporal power in 1870. Uh, so uh, uh, this, this sort of attitude went on during the years. And for example, in uh, the uh, 1938 uh, Munich conference, uh, the, the, the Vatican, I think it was the Pope himself that said that uh, the result of the Munich conference had been a gift uh, for humanity because uh, it avoided, apparently, at the time, uh, a, a, a new world war. And this uh, reference uh, to the Munich conference, I think, is very uh, interesting today, because I frankly don't know what my attitude could have been uh, in 1938. Uh, you had uh, just 20 years since the end of that uh, horrible slaughter that had been the Great War. And I think I, I could very well understand the attitude of the French and the British who uh, wanted to do everything possible in order to avoid uh, the repetition of uh, such, a, uh, uh, such, a, such a slaughter. And, uh, but we should use history also to understand uh, uh, not to repeat uh, the mistaken that were uh, made, uh, the, the mistakes that were made in uh, the past. Because I know that I would have been at least very uncertain on the uh, judgment uh, 
for the appeasement uh, policies uh, of the West uh, towards Nazi Germany in the 30s. And I know how uh, that, to what consequences that uh, appeasement poli policy led, that nowadays I think we should be very careful in uh, uh, this sort of attitude and uh, uh, understand that these dictators are uh, willing to stop only when they are stopped. So from our point of view, I think that we, I, I, I didn't see any liberal or any person of our political family that have doubts uh, on the necessity to support with every possible mean the Ukrainians today. But for the Catholic Church, it is totally different. And it is particularly different from this Pope in particular. He is the first one who is not coming from a Western, a properly Western country. He doesn't see the world divided between West and East, but rather between North and South. And uh, he was somehow uh, the offspring of a, a, one uh, political stream uh, or cultural stream, if you prefer, in the so-called liberation theology that did not want to mix Christianity with Marxism, but at the same time uh, was very much in favor of a lot of policies that were shared by uh, Marxist or um, strongly socialist parties uh, in Latin America at the time, even though he personally has been accused, uh, clear and uh, uh, very, very, very obvious uh, evidence has not uh, emerged so far of not having done what he could have done when he was in Argentina, the provincial uh, superior of the Jesuits uh, the Jesuits there uh, to help those uh, uh, who were persecuted by the Argentinian dictatorship. I don't know what the truth is from that point of view. Anyway, he behaved in a way that is very similar to Pius XII uh, uh, towards uh, the Jews in that period, that is much more diplomatically than uh, acting on the basis of the ethic of conviction, uh, to use the distinction of Max Weber, uh, in, in, in this affair now. You know, the ethics of conviction is that uh, kind of attitude in which you do what you think it is right to do, whatever the consequences, because the consequences are a matter for God to decide. On the contrary, Max Weber's idea, the ethics of uh, um, responsibility is that you have to act in a way that you should, uh, as far as you can understand it, of course, calculate what the consequences of your actions are. Now, the religious uh, ethics is more um, easily uh, addressed uh, towards the ethic of conviction, which is the ethics of Islam, usually. Uh, they uh, do what uh, they think it is right to do, and it is a matter of God to decide the consequences of their actions. Whereas, uh, usually in the Western civilization, we are uh, more inclined to use the ethics of responsibility. That is, what we do have, uh, has have a, a direct uh, uh, consideration of what the consequences of our actions is. 
And from this point of view, uh, we, we uh, have a, a totally different attitude also because the Pope uh, is, will never be called to answer for the consequences of his actions. This is one of the reasons why I think uh, there has been this development because when the Pope was also a king, he had to behave on the basis of the ethics of responsibility. Now that it is no longer so, now that as far as, for example, the policies of the church inside the different countries, even in Italy since the time of his predecessor, Pope Ratzinger, has been that the uh, National Episcopal Conference has to decide on uh, the policies of the church inside their the, 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 the state, uh, which, is, which was a rule uh, almost everywhere in, uh, uh, in, in the world, but in Italy until uh, uh, Pope John Paul, Ratzinger changed it. And Ratzinger decided that also in Italy, uh, it could have been the, the uh, Episcopal Conference to decide on matters uh, related to the Italian internal affairs, such as the laws that will be, that had to be uh, introduced, for example, on euthanasia or abortion or so on. When, whereas I remember that uh, uh, in the year 2000, the year of the Catholic Jubilee, you had uh, Pope John Paul that uh, had decided that the world pride that was organized in that year in Rome was a, a, a very hard offense to the Catholic Church, and he did it himself. Now, in theory at least, uh, the, the, the practical uh, things that relate to each single country are a matter for the competence of uh, the, the Episcopal conferences. And they just, and the, the, the central administration of the church and the Pope himself uh, only deal with principles and with the, the diplomatic uh, positions of the church. But they don't uh, grasp, uh, I think, uh, that many of these uh, statements that they uh, take on the basis of the ethics of conviction have horrible consequences uh, in terms of responsibility, of consequences of their actions. Even more so if you consider that in the, for example, in the Italian debate today, you can see every, every day, every evening on the talk shows on Italian television, there's a lot of, uh, uh, on the one hand, former leftists, and on the other hand, uh, those populists that have received a lot of money from the Putin regime in the last uh, years, beginning with the Northern, former Northern and now the League of Salvini, uh, and, and similar movements uh, that have suddenly become pacifists. Uh, Salvini was the one who uh, always uh, uh, advocated, for example, for the freedom of carrying weapons for self-defense. He was the one who uh, said that uh, whatever happens, uh, if you are uh, uh, the victim of any aggression, you should have unlimited possibility of responding by shooting any aggressor, even if uh, uh, it was obviously not so uh, dangerous as one, one uh, would imagine. And now suddenly he has become a pacifist. 
and like him, a lot of those who had very good relationship with Putin. Uh, by the way, I remember that uh, a few years ago, uh, we celebrated the, the uh, Europe Day two days ago, and uh, a few years later, a few years before, uh, a few years ago, sorry, uh, I took part uh, in the regional uh, parliament uh, of my uh, region uh, to a meeting to celebrate uh, Europe Day. I made a comparison uh, on the new kind of uh, illiberal democracies. I remember that I said that, that Putin and Erdogan were representatives of this idea. And there was an indignant reaction by all the right wing at the time, and a very, very cautious silence from the center left, because they uh, said that we couldn't put Putin on the same level of uh, an Islamic dictator like Erdogan. So uh, that was the attitude of them until a few years ago, and so they were extremely embarrassed uh, now. Uh, Salvini was the one who uh, wanted to be uh, to, to wear a t-shirt uh, with Putin uh, with a military helmet uh, on his head. He said that he felt much more at home in Moscow than in Brussels. Uh, he was uh, he said that he he estimated Putin uh, uh, ten times as uh, the rulers of France and Germany. And now, of course, uh, it is a little bit a problem for them. But this attitude has somehow survived and suddenly became uh, assumed the form of utter pacifism as it is the one of the Pope. So this is the result of uh, uh, the Pope's uh, policies in Italy today. And it, it, unfortunately, it had some success because even just yesterday, a poll was released in which, uh, uh, however tiny, but a tiny majority of Italians oppose the, the idea of giving arms uh, to Ukraine because they want the war to finish as soon as possible, whatever the consequences. And it is, I think, the same attitude uh, that most Europeans uh, had in 1938, uh, at the time of the Munich conference. You know, the Daladier, when he uh, came home, he saw uh, from uh, his aircraft uh, uh, these enormous crowds uh, that uh, were uh, waiting for him at the Le Bourget airport in Paris. He thought he was on the point of being lynched. And on the contrary, these masses wanted to thank him from the result of the Munich conference. And you know how things uh, uh, happened. I think that for, for Putin, uh, the Donbass is exactly what the Sudeten were for Hitler. He had hoped that uh, uh, Ukraine would have been the same as uh, uh, the Anschluss uh, of Austria, with people launching flowers uh, to the troops. And on the contrary, it's been more or less like the invasion of Czechoslovakia. In his idea, possibly Molda Moldavia could be uh, something like the Memelland that he conquered. Uh, uh, no one now remembers in spring uh, 39. And uh, his and our Danzig could be uh, some cities in the extreme east of Estonia where I think uh, he would not stop unless we stop him now.
But That's, that is for, correct. This is but for the correct. Pope, uh, this is this is something that is unacceptable because it is based on the ethics of responsibility. Whereas he says, no war, full stop, what the consequences are is a matter for God to decide and not for us. Right. Uh, I, I think that in, in, in this case, as you, as you clearly explained, what is important that both interests our kind of realistic assessment of the political and military situation is aligned with the moral cause of supporting the, the victim against the aggressor and therefore perhaps this is the reason why the response from the free world uh, or at least the western world uh, was so strong and perhaps unexpected to some extent at least to to putin what's what's also important is that uh, at the same time you see much less support uh, for Ukraine, or actually almost no support from other countries, also democracies outside the kind of Western core. So neither South America, Brazil, or India, or even South Africa uh, are willing to commit to, 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 to help Ukraine repel this aggression. And uh, what was surprising, and you touched upon this uh, in the context of, of talking about the radical left, you see a lot of figures on the in the global left, from uh, Chomsky uh, and also to national figures um, in Italy, in France, um, very prominent figures, or even uh, Ocasio Cortez, uh, young hope of the Democrats or, or social Democrats uh, in the United States, who are unwilling, or either were criticizing NATO or United States, or were unwilling to to support in meaningful way the, the Ukrainian efforts. Do you, can you talk more about this? Because also uh, in Italy, it seems that, like for example, the Sinistra party, the, it's a small party, but I think significant. And also many people, influential people on the, on the national media are criticizing either United States or trying to not take sides, meaning calling for, 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 for peace, calling against the uh, standing arms to, to, to Ukraine. Perhaps this is one of the explanations why Italians are so divided on this issue. Can you tell more, is it like, is it because of this kind of old anti-NATO, anti-US prejudice that this is the only country that makes imperialistic wars and Russia cannot make imperialistic war because it is the former anti-fascist, anti-Nazi country and uh, former, uh, well, socialist or communist country? Or do you see some other reasons why in this kind of clear moral situation, the, the left, which is always making this high ground moral calls, is actually very hesitant to take action and actually is, I think, very much unsupportive of, of, of Ukraine in this case? Well, I think that it is not so much uh, the the attitude towards uh, Russia, it is much more a very critical attitude uh, against uh, uh, Western values. I think it is very difficult for a lot of people, both uh, in the former leftist uh, milieus and from uh, the left wing, let's say, of the Catholics, uh, to appreciate uh, what uh, the West is doing, uh, the Western values are, and so on. I mean, uh, there is this sort of uh, villainization 
of the West of uh, consumerism, capitalism, uh, Western democracies that is considered somehow hypercritical on many issues and so on. I think it is much more this than uh, a positive attitude towards uh, Russia. Of course, that can have some weight uh, in older people uh, that uh, had uh, had some um, sympathy for Russia until uh, it was a communist country. But you know, you you have to be quite. Uh, a senior citizen nowadays to have uh, that kind of attitude. Whereas I think it is much more a problem of uh, being very critical about the Western values. I mean, uh, there are two different ways uh, to be critical of uh, our countries. One is to criticize them on the basis of Western values. And another one is uh, being critical because you don't want uh, a free indiv individualistic society. I think the individualistic is probably a key word from this point of view because it has always been the common ground for uh, socialists, the Catholics, and the fascists. Uh, the, the, the idea that uh, freedom of the individual is wrong has always been uh, quite easy to mix with a very strong attitude towards, uh, let's say, an idea uh, equality as more important than liberty. Uh, I mean, for example, uh, at the time of Pope Leo XIII, you had, in, in, in a matter of two years, uh, the the uh, encyclical Libertas, which was the uh, most severe rejection of liberal principles. And just the year after that, uh, I think it was uh, uh, 88, I think, uh, 1888 uh, Libertas, and uh, probably 1891 uh, the Rerum Novarum, which was the encyclical where uh, the Pope, for the first time, uh, elaborated the, the social uh, thought, uh, the social theory, the social doctrine of the Catholic Church. And if you look at it, uh, uh, and you consider also the fascist side of it, you, you know, there, there always was a, a sort of uh, diffidence by the very strong uh, nationalists in Italy against those who gave birth to the Italian state in uh, the 19th century, because they said they were not real patriots. They just wanted to um, enforce the individualistic and liberal principles in Italy. And they saw that the way to do that was fighting for a unified uh, and uh, independent Italy. And that was the only reason why they did it. And that was the attitude that led to fascism after World War I. And it was a, a, a ground where you always found a sort of uh, convergence between these three uh, main uh, attitudes, more than political cultures, uh, that have uh, uh, always lived uh, in the back uh, uh, background in the minds of uh, the Italians that were 
uh, either nostalgic of fascism or uh, strongly Catholic uh, or uh, very committed ones. I mean, not those who voted for the Christian Democrats just because they were the biggest party at the time, the party against the communists, the party that uh, after all led Italy into the NATO alliance and uh, in uh, the first uh, steps in the in European integration process. But those who really were uh, uh, Catholic uh, in, in, a, in a very strong and uh, integralistic way uh, had this uh, anti-individualistic and uh, frankly anti-liberal attitude uh, in common with uh, the communists. So that's why very, very cunningly, the Communist Party in Italy had never been uh, anti-religious. Uh, since uh, the end of World War II, they voted for a mention of the Concordate that was uh, signed by the fascist regime and uh, the Catholic Church uh, in, in 1929. And they always tried to find a sort of common ground or even of some, they were in favor of, of all the possible ways of uh, finding a conciliation between communism and uh, uh, Catholicism. For, I think that very few countries, the liberation theology in its uh, more um, socialist and Marxist tendency, the one that was, for example, uh, of Leonardo Boff in, in, in Brazil was popular. I think in many other, in no other country, it was so popular as it was in Italy, because we had a liberal democracy after World War II, basically because the Americans won in Italy, but also because all those who gave birth to the new political system didn't want to repeat what had happened during the fascist period. So for this practical reason, we had a more or less a liberal constitution, a liberal democracy, and so on. But it was much more because uh, they were afraid of each other. The communists were afraid of uh, uh, the Christian Democrats uh, and uh, uh, the fact they were, that they were backed by the Americans. Uh, all those who were not communists were afraid of the communists. Uh, many people was afraid that uh, in, in, inside the structures of the state uh, there were still a lot of fascists. And so having a liberal state at the time was much more a sort of insurance uh, against uh, uh, one part being the victim of the other, as it happened in the same years uh, in Greece, rather than a mature uh, agreement with uh, liberal principles. Um, step by step, uh, of course, uh, liberal principles became uh, the uh, accepted uh, background of Italian politics, but it was not so much uh, acquired as it has been for the case, for example, the case of Germany after 68. Uh, I mean, after 68, uh, uh, the Germans uh, uh, decided that they had to face the German experience uh, uh, in the 30s and in World War II uh, before there was a sort of removal. Uh, there was a sort of uh, uh, let's work hard uh, and build a rich economy. But it was only uh, probably starting more or less in 1868 than the Germans uh, uh, had this sort of uh, national 
um, rethinking of what their uh, nation should be. Uh, Italy never had something like that because uh, the former ideology was that Italy was simply oppressed by fascism for 20 years and that as soon as it was possible, all the Italians fought in the resistance against the, the fascist regime. And actually, the, the resistance movement was a mass movement in Italy, but it was just a matter of a strong minority, let's say. Inside of that strong minority, there were a lot of communists who would have liked a, a different kind of totalitarian regime at the time. Even the Communist Party had a, a very remarkable evolution from let's say the mid 70s uh, uh, until the but, but 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 until the end of, of, of uh, communism in the world let's say but right um, julia if i may ask you the, the very last question i will uh, ask because our uh, time is, is ending just for the short answer to to that how do you see the liberal values being uh, reshaped or renewed do you think there is such a prospect Especially, because, I mean, mainly because of this kind of war efforts and and this invasion. Do, do you think that that this is the call for kind of rejuvenation of the very basic liberal principles, or do you think that uh, actually it could it could be much more complicated and the kind of Western alliance that we've seen before, which wasn't uh, well always liberal, especially if we called the interventions in Iraq or, or other uh, military escapades by United States. But do you think that some, something of a kind of the former Cold War alliance or a new kind of an alliance, perhaps less um, homogeneous and, and less united might emerge? Or do you think that at least in some countries in Western Europe, the, the very basic uh, principles of uh, of freedom might uh, find more uh, support that, that the other issues that we are discussing might take the, uh, well, the, 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 this is basic, basic uh, issues of, of freedom, of independence, uh, and of, well, also of security, but defined uh, by living in a free society against the authoritarian uh, regimes would take precedence over some of the discussions that we had uh, recently, or do you think that this is actually the mm, bump in the road and basically we are coming back to some kind of old discourse that we had before, and with the exception of perhaps some peripheral Eastern countries in the EU, such as Poland or Baltic states, you wouldn't see that much uh, lasting influence of this war on, uh, on Europe uh, or, or the internal discourse. Uh, of European affairs. So if you could be brief, trying to predict what the future will be in this aspect. Well, every time that you try to predict what the future will be, you, you are bound to be mistaken. But uh, uh, I think that uh, the Soviet Union and uh, its system was the basic uh, provider of sense for uh, the building of uh, a Western liberal attitude during the Cold War. Uh, the example that we had from the Soviet Union was the one against which, even in Italy, but in most of our countries, we built 
societies that had to be totally different from that. Just to give you an example, uh, uh, Kennedy speaking in Berlin was the most obvious example for that. And actually, what we were missing uh, for a lot of years was this sort of um, provider of sense, uh, because uh, uh, what had happened uh, in the last few years uh, had been a sort of uh, less uh, obvious difference uh, between liberal democracy and dictatorship. We had uh, those uh, illiberal regimes that accepted the majority principle on the one hand and uh, had authoritarian uh, structures of their uh, form of government uh, on the other side, on the other hand. And uh, I, I, I don't know, I, I, I wouldn't like the war, of course, to last uh, uh, very long, but uh, this uh, shock uh, could be the, the, a way to go back to our principles. I think uh, uh, it makes me, paradoxically, and I'm very, very prudent in saying this, I understand that it can be very well misunderstood, but the, the, the cultural consequence of this make me a little bit less pessimistic than I was before, provided that next year or in, in a couple of years, we don't have, uh, we don't lose America again, because this is the big problem. Uh, as long as we have a, a democratic president, a, a democratic administration in the United States, uh, the, the building this common Western identity again uh, as a living uh, alliance uh, uh, would be somehow possible. Had we again uh, Trump uh, as a president of a Trumpian uh, Republican in a couple of years in the United States, that would obviously lead to a totally different story. And at that point, we will be somehow alone in the world because it's very difficult to be uh, the only uh, surviving uh, liberal democracy that uh, is really attached to those principles uh, if you have not even a normally working uh, political system. And so far in Europe, we don't have a normally working political system. We have a sort of something between uh, an international organization and a quasi-state in the European Union, but that is not enough uh, to have uh, a European society. And uh, unless there is also the American pillar of the West, uh, and, it, and that is for, unfortunately something on which, as Mrs. Merkel said uh, in one of uh, her last speeches, we are no longer we have no longer the insurance uh, that we had had uh, for so long time that we will always have uh, on our side uh, fully liberal democratic United States. I think that uh, what had happened uh, during the Trumpian era could be uh, there again. And I think that, you know, there's a big problem because the way we select uh, our uh, political leadership uh, is less and less consistent uh, with the, the survival of uh, um, a liberal democracy. The, the segmentation of the public arena uh, that, that is the typical character of today. The reduction of the political debate uh, to advertising, the extreme personalization of uh, the political 
struggle. Uh, the decline of uh, political parties that are obviously linked uh, to recognizable political cultures, uh, all these things are something that are very well play in the hands uh, of authoritarian populists, uh, both on the right and on the left uh, of the political spectrum. So this is the big problem. And uh, paradoxically, this huge shock is the one that could provide once again uh, the, the, the sense for uh, building a society that is totally different from that of the authoritarian regimes or those uh, uh, societies where the boundaries between uh, liberal democracy and uh, authoritarian attitude are no longer as clear as they have been in the past decades. Let's hope that this will be the case, that, that there will be some hope and strength to be gained from this terrible war, uh, also on the side of those who were not directly um, attacked, but can draw their own conclusions and, uh, and uh, well, make a clear line of division between what is democratic, what is authoritarian, because we see that uh, this evolution uh, towards authoritarian system could be dangerous, not just for the fellow countrymen uh, of the dictator, but also from everyone around this country. Jurio uh, uh, Ercolesi was our guest. Thank you so much, Jurio, for this uh, wonderful, insightful um, uh, participation in, uh, in our conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Leszek. This was the Liberal Euro podcast. My name is Leszek Jozewski. Please tune in for um, Ricardo Silvestro next week. Uh, until two weeks, goodbye. You can find this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. And if you like what we are doing, and want to help spreading the liberal values, please give us a five-star review and share with your friends.